you don't realize there are people out there who have made careers helping people plan the succession of their business. And it falls so much in that same box of wills, of life insurance, of all the things that that we don't want to talk about and need to talk about. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm really excited to bring to you today an amazing guest, Nike Anani, is an international award-winning entrepreneur, succession specialist, and a legacy planning expert for future-focused business families. She is on a mission to help businesses move from lifetime to legacy, which I absolutely love that concept, and I'm excited to dig into that more with her. As a result of that mission, she communicates gains clarity to collectively build family enterprises of the future. With over a decade of family enterprise expertise in Nigeria, Nike helps owners lead their family organizations to long-term impact and legacy. Her inside experience as a second-generation family business owner and family office pioneer birthed a passion to help other families in building legacy enterprises that would outlive them. Nike is the co-founder of African Family Firms, a pan-African association of family businesses that is focused on promoting generational wealth and generational legacies on the continent. She is the host of the Connected Generation podcast, a top 10 family business podcast globally dedicated to next gens that are seeking how to navigate building legacy enterprises while leaving an impact. Nike has a global outlook Having lived and worked in three continents, she's a champion for diversity, passionate about improving age and gender diversity and inclusion in business families. And I am so excited to dig into this conversation with her. I have connected with Nikkei before, and I know this is going to be so incredibly valuable for you. As we're going through the episode, if you have specific questions and you happen to be watching this live, go ahead and comment those questions or comments that you have, and we'll do our best to get those worked into the show. Really quickly, before we jump into this, I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions and the Design Your Life Book Club. I believe that your level of success does not exceed your level of personal development, that we learn and grow through the stories of others and the experiences of others to become the person who can accomplish the goals and dreams that we want to have. If you are ready to step into learning from others in a group of amazing people who are also reading the same books and learning and sharing those learnings, and then also connect with the authors of those books to be able to take that learning to a next level, then the Design Your Life Book Club is for you. Head over to successdevelopmentsolutions.com, click that contact button, and let's go ahead and jump on a call to see if it's a good fit for you. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in to this interview with Nikkei. 
Nikkei, thank you so much for coming on the show with me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me, Amber. Um, I'm really curious before we really dig into your background and all the amazing things that you bring to the table, what is a succession specialist? Yeah, so essentially someone that specialized in succession planning, you know, thinking through how can something outlive its existing state. And my expertise is with family enterprises. And often they have to think about succession planning on three different levels. Um, if, for instance, mom and dad founded a business um, and then they transition, um, they have to think about succession in terms of leadership of the family, because typically they've led the family in the first generation and then the leadership will move on to the next generation. They have to think about leadership in the business and they have to think about succession of the ownership of the business as well. So succession planning can get a bit tricky, but it's um, I find it really fascinating and I absolutely love it as, an, um, as a field of work. Um, it's really interesting to me because as a business owner, it's something that we tangentially think about. Uh, you know, none of us really want to think about what our, our demise is going to look like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we have these clients and these responsibilities, especially as a professional service provider. And, you know, for the first time ever, I was in a consultation yesterday where somebody hired me and they asked me, so I know this is going to sound really morbid, but what happens to our case if you pass away? Mm-hmm. And if there was a time in my life where I would have been really offended by that. Like, what do you mean? What happens? What are you trying to say about my mortality? Right. And then there comes a point in time in business where you start to realize those are things that you have to think about in order to best serve not only your clients on this side of it, but then also to leave that legacy that you want to leave on the other side of it for your family. So I just think it's a really interesting conversation. With that being said, I'm curious what the reception has been for you as you dig into this into this topic with people. Um, I can imagine it's something similar to trying to get someone to write a will. Yes, indeed. I mean, Typically what happens is the founders, actual business owners that have established businesses typically are like, why are you talking about death? Um, Like you said, it can be quite offensive. However, um, their advisors, however, their children, other people that have anxiety about the inevitable are typically very, receive my message very well. And then it's thinking through, how can I equip you with the tools to break the ice on a really difficult conversation essentially money plus death plus business planning for the future um, so that you can start having clarity as a family as to what does the future hold. So yeah, um, mixed bag. Increasingly though, I think the taboo talking about death and money with the rising generation is um, slowly fading and there's more of a welcome reception to have these conversations. Younger founders are in their 40s, tech entrepreneurs that also have a different kind of mindset when it comes to their businesses. It's like, I'm building this thing to flip it and I want to cash out and then set up my family office and invest in a whole bunch of assets. Um, so, so yeah, it's a mixed bag really. I'm interested to know with the change of what people define success as, you know, moving from a generation where you built a family and then that became kind of the hub of everything to generations where maybe family isn't in the plans for all entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. I feel like in the first scenario, you always had that family that was just kind of expected 
to take care of things if something happened to you. And in this new business world where not everybody has family in their plans, that's not always there. Do you see a difference between those two mindsets? And is that something that you've experienced? What's your take on that? Indeed. No, um, increasingly, I am being pulled into rooms where founders don't have children. Um, we're having kids later and later and these days, and some people don't want children. And then it's thinking through, okay, um, when the inevitable happens, what would you like to see? Would you like to have professional leadership take over the business? Would you want the business to be sold? Would you want um, some proceeds of your estate going towards philanthropy? Would you want to start establishing that today? I think the general kind of approach towards the whole legacy planning still remains the same. However, the, the, the details may look quite differently. So it's not preparing junior to take over the family business. However, yeah. in any case, in these days, it's the statistics is it's only 15% of the next generation want to actually take over leadership of their family businesses. They would much prefer. Really? Yeah, much prefer to get involved from the sidelines um, with family philanthropy or family investing or as advisors to their families. So we're seeing the dynamics in the industry are changing anyway. Um, we're not necessarily seeing um, like in your traditional family business and the manufacturing plant with mom, dad and all the three kids fighting like in succession, for instance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This whole conversation is fascinating to me because it is something that you don't realize there are people out there who have made careers helping people plan the succession of their business. And it falls so much in that same box of wills, of life insurance, of all the things that that we don't want to talk about and need to talk about. And all the things that I think if you were to really ask people to be completely honest about whether they have everything in line, if something was to happen to them, they don't. And yeah. that's a scary reality. Very scary reality. And I've seen the negative impact. I've seen statistics come to life. A friend of mine lost her dad and it was just horrible. The fa family's financial future was just gone. There was yeah. no will, there was no life insurance and what have you. And I think it's so important. Um, we, we must live for today. It's important to be present in the moment. But I also think we should also have a legacy mindset to ensure that we're protecting our loved ones so that all the hustle that we put ourselves through, like building our businesses, it's not, you know, at that moment where you're needed, they can yeah. count on you to be there. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, it's hard to go through the process, but honestly, I think it's, it depends on the way you, you look at the process. It's, um, I invite my clients to always not think about it as planning, you know, for that doomsday, but, inviting the family to collectively think about how can we not only leave a legacy, but how can we live our legacies? So from today, what legacy do we want to be making as a family, not just mom and dad? So it's not centered on mom and dad's death and their transition and we have to protect the family. That's included yeah. as well. But what legacy as a family do we want to live as well as leave? Yeah, that's a really powerful conversation because especially when we start talking about the new generation of business owners that may or may not have family plans in their life, like 
we want to know. I mean, I know that I'm one of those people that don't want children. I never have. Mm -hmm. And so when you start thinking about what's that legacy that you get to leave, what is my life going to mean when I'm no longer here? And who's going to carry on the message that I've spent my entire life crafting and sharing when I'm no longer here to do it? Um, I think we all, it's human nature to want to know that our life means something and you yeah. are able to give that to people in helping them plan that succession. Yeah, and it doesn't have to, your legacy, the interesting thing is, you know, the, the whole conversation on founders that don't have children, right? The new next phase of their lives is historically junior follows in senior's footsteps, but often the legacy of senior can be a burden and an obligation and an impediment to junior's freedom identity, autonomy. So there's also a freedom that comes with, okay, I don't necessarily want to stifle a generation, a person with perpetuating what was my identity, but I also want to make sure I leave my mark. Um, and that can be in many ways, right? It can yeah. be through gifting. It can be through foundations. It can be through even the business, right? It doesn't have to be that the business will stop because you're no longer around, because there's entire um, ecosystems that are depending, dependent on you. Whether you have employees or not, um, you have contractors, you've got a whole supply chain that's dependent on you and you're impacting on communities. So it doesn't necessarily meet the eye, the legacy that you're living today. Mm -hmm. You are certainly living one, um, whether you're aware of it or not, but we want to also sh make sure that you also leave on. Yeah, absolutely. So how did this happen for you? I can imagine that it's not a situation where you're, you know, 12, 13 years old and someone says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you say, hey, I want to help people figure out what they want to do when they die. Yeah. So <laughs> how, did, how did this happen? Yeah, I mean, it was very much from my personal experience. So I, like I said to you, I grew up in the UK. Um, I'm Nigerian or by origin. And my father started off our family enterprise the year I was born. So entrepreneurship has always been around me. Um, and so I moved to the UK when I was nine. So I was quite far removed from it. And then um, I went to university and trained up as a chartered accountant, came back to Lagos to work in the family enterprise and firsthand as a successor worked with my dad. And I started thinking about how can we build a legacy enterprise, something that would not necessarily just outlive him, outlive me, but even outlive the future generations and really make its mark on our wider society back in Nigeria. Um, and I guess when I was having these questions internally, a friend of mine, like I mentioned, she lost her dad and I just saw how that legacy just really was uprooted and the financial protection wasn't there for the family. And it was just devastating to watch her go through grief and also anxiety for the future about finances in a, in a country where there's no social net, there's no security, right? Yeah. Um, there's no safety net, rather. And so that was really my, my prompt to action, really, how can we start thinking about leaving our legacies and li living our legacies to make sure that we protect our loved ones, we make the impact on wider society, because business owners, I really um, think are incredible people they make such an impact in driving value and sustainable change. And I believe business owners have a mindset 
that can be applied to different spheres of life to not only bring about financial profits and what have you, but also social change. Um, they tend to think outside of themselves um, and make an impact over space and over time. And that was really when I started getting quite obsessed with this field. <laughs> I think that's really interesting. And I'm curious to know with um, your business background in the past, oh, yeah. sorry, um, with your business background in the past, did you follow, like, are you involved in the family businesses as well? Or did you decide to create this kind of as a separate business? How did that work for you in um, the way the succession played in your family business? Yeah, so I started firstly doing succession planning for my family. So put together the governance um, structures and we affected generational transition and all that within my family. And then I started my consulting business separate from my family. And so I'm the founder of that. And I've got a couple of staff as well to serve other families and helping them navigating similar generational transition. That's awesome. So you have this book that's coming out um, the beginning of next year. It should be coming out soon. Do you have an actual release date for it? I have a pre-launch of the 26th of Jan and a live live launch of the 6th of April. That's amazing. The book is called Lifetime to Legacy. Um, talk to us about what people can expect in that book. Yeah, so Lifetime to Legacy. Um, it's the new vision for multi-generational family businesses. And it's really about how can families not just protect the future of their businesses, but also create the business of the future. And I think we all know why that's really important in this age with disruption and technological change and also social issues, climate change, gender inequities, and even wealth inequalities across the world. Um, how can we ensure that we're creating businesses that would truly be future focused and through inviting greater collaboration and creativity within our families and within our businesses to unlock, um, um, to unlock diversity of thought? Because um, I really believe that diversity of thought is only present when we have as much diversity and inclusion as possible. And that can take different that can take different kind of um, looks and feels, right? Age, yeah. gender, um, ethnicity, even geographic location. Like, there's subcultures in every country. There's different cultures all over the globe and what have you. And how can we foster that truly inclusive environment that breeds interdependence in our businesses and in our families rather than just independence? Yeah, absolutely. And what I think is really cool is that you're encouraging these conversations, not necessarily just from the business owner, but also from the family members and friends and employees and coworkers and contractors of this business owner of, hey, what does this look like? And what is the involvement expected to be? And how can we help you make sure that the vision that you've seen for yourself is, is carried through? And based upon all the conversations that we've had, I think that it's really interesting to see that it's not just a business owner coming to you and saying, hey, I need to get this figured out. It, it really is this team effort um, of everybody involved. And they kind of reach that moment at different paces, I would imagine. Indeed. It's like you said, it's um, 
it's a team effort. It's not just a lone um, genius, but really collaborative effort. And until, you know, there's a distinction in the book, I make a distinction between legal ownership of a business and emotional ownership. Mm. And quite often, traditionally, parents will, in their will, say, I want to leave the shares of the business to my kids in equal parts or what have you. And the kids really don't care. They're not attached to it. They see it as an obligation. They want to be free. They want to go to Japan or they want to, you know, <laughs> they, they, they want to start off their own businesses or go work in Wall Street and be free from this business. And they're just like, right, I might be a legal owner, but I'm not an emotional owner. Yeah. On the flip side, what you want to create is this emotional ownership from various different stakeholders where they they have an emotional bond to it. They have a sense of belonging. They take a sense of ownership for the business and want to go over and beyond to see that it outlasts itself. And that's stakeholder capitalism. We often talk about the one end of stakeholder capitalism. That's the impact it makes on wider stakeholders. But I think we can also invite for the involvement of wider stakeholders in the building of the business. Yeah. And, you know, this is something that we see not just on the business side of things, but on the personal side of things too, right? Like when we have an emotional connection to something and we want somebody else to have an emotional connection to that and they don't. And then, you know, people ask me why I don't practice family law. And it is this conversation, Um, family law, wills and trusts, like there are things that divorce and death do to people and their emotions. And when there's been this will that's made in the best of intentions, but the emotional attachment came from the person making the will, not the person receiving the benefits of it. It creates this tension that was never meant to be created. Indeed. Uh, I say that we have to have the relational as well as the technical. One without the other won't make sense. Like what you're alluding to. So the technical is like the legal documents and the you know the wills foundation trusts and life insurance but unless we it's built on a foundation of the relational where we've collectively co-created what we want um it will not be effective we will lack emotional ownership and all we'll have is legal ownership um, but it's, I can see why families avoid the relational. It's difficult to have these conversations, yes. isn't it? But we yes. must have difficult conversations. Um, I think that, I think we've also conditioned ourselves as to what is difficult and what it's not, but that's for another conversation. I think we yeah. tell ourselves it's difficult because we tell ourselves it's difficult. We make difficult decisions every day as individuals, as businesses, as, you know, as parents, you know, in our professional lives. But for some reason, we said that this is difficult. Um, I think it's the labeling that's really yeah. a huge impediment to starting the process. Um, yeah. It's also you know, difficult, it's... the implication, sorry, of I know you're fine. not going through this yeah. is difficult too. Like my friend, because mm-hmm. I seen the other end of she was the oldest of three girls. She had two sisters in the UK. Um, at university and they were paying 30,000 pounds for each of them per year and dad dies mum and sister 
are scratching their heads, how are they going to keep paying for their school fees? That is difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we, um, we allow ourselves to get placed in those situations because of that labeling of difficult and also because of the fear that somebody won't be as emotionally attached to something as we want them to be. Right. And I feel like that's, mm. you know, this is just another situation that proves that communication and relationships are really at the base of everything that we do and the success of everything that we do, even when we're talking about what happens when we're not here. Mm. I, I agree. And I think it takes courage, right? Um, because there's no certainty in the reception you receive by the counterparty, right? And they might just say, yeah, I really don't care about the business or you can do whatever you want. I've always had an issue with, it might start bringing to the fore personal issues. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important that we exhibit this. Um, Brene Brown has, she talks about how there's a distinction between ordinary courage and heroism mm -hmm. and how in culture we think of when we, we mention the word courage, people think of a hero come to save the day, but there's ordinary acts of courage, like waking up, you know, in the morning and getting out of bed on a difficult day or in spite of grief, pushing through, or, you know, um, if you're fighting depression, choosing to hang in there for a brighter tomorrow, for that business or, you know, showing up in your business as an owner during COVID-19 when everything is upside down. Those are ordinary acts of courage. And we must celebrate ordinary acts of courage and look to exhibit ordinary acts of courage. And I think such conversations are ordinary acts of courage. I'm not sure what Amber's reception will be, as I say to her about, let's talk about this business. Yeah. I would love for it to be here in 200 years, she might be, what? <laughs> that business. Yeah. COVID-19, will it survive? Um, but I think it's important that we allow ourselves to bring the fullest of ourselves to conversations. Yeah. Brene Brown really was onto something when she started talking about this vulnerability and courage and authenticity. And, you know, she was, I, I always like light up inside when people mention her because she was just such a big part of me owning my own stuff and getting out of the rut that I was in, in my life. Hmm. Um, but she talks so much about how, and, and I think this plays into everything we're talking about now, how if we were to watch somebody else have the same conversations that we're afraid to have, we would see that as courage. And in ourselves, we see it as weakness. Yeah. And it's so interesting how in all aspects of business, not just where we're talking about this succession, but should I start a new business? Can I make that Facebook post? Can I, can I get into this relationship, this personal, professional business? Every decision, the same things we're afraid to do that we see as weakness. Somebody else could do the exact same thing and we would see as strength. Indeed. And every moment there's a new opportunity that makes us uncomfortable and we feel vulnerable yet again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it might be expanding the business, right? It might be shutting down the business. Yeah. It might be a whole host of things, but I think I love what you said. I've never heard her say that about how we tend to 
magnify the negative in ourselves, but see it as positive in others. Um, I just think it's so important that we're not led by comfort. Um, yeah. We we have to take ourselves out of our comfort zones and face our fears. Um, and these are th- these are not necessarily you know huge fears, so to speak. I think that's what makes it really uncomfortable because in your mind you're just like oh, this Facebook post, like you said, that yeah. for me, like social media, good grief. Yeah. I mean, and it's really interesting because the fears are so real, even though the action is so small. And so we justify it by saying, oh, I can't possibly actually be afraid of this, right? Like, look at what everybody else is doing that they're not afraid of. Why am I afraid to just type and hit enter? But it's what that post represents to us and the vulnerability that we're, that we're facing there. I mean, I'm, an obstacle course racer, I've been really open about the role that physical discomfort has had in my business success. Yet Mm -hmm. I will go jump off a cliff before I'll post a vulnerable Facebook post without thinking twice about it, right? Like those are two different kinds of scary. Very much. And they seem so different, but they're they're the same at heart. Like the feeling is real. And for me, the only way I kind of cross that barrier and I'm able to push through is when I really reflect and like, why am I feeling so uncomfortable with the prospect of doing this? Yeah. You know, I love that question because I think that it opens up so much about the purpose of what we're doing. Um, Am I doing this for a purpose that actually furthers my goals or am I doing it because I need somebody to feel what I'm feeling right now. And one of Mm. those is beneficial and one of those is harmful to our overall mental state. Completely. And I loved what you said at the opening of this, that business success comes at the, was it intersection of personal development? Mm -hmm. I really believe that. Um, For me, with the social media thing, it was literally a huge, for me, when I first started consulting, it was good grief. It took me a long time to get over it. But what was at the root of it, I traced that it was, I didn't like the idea of putting myself out there because I could then, people had the opportunity to reject me or tell me what aspects of what I've put out there they disliked. Mm. And it was with my mentor and my therapist that we identified that there's the little eye and then there's a the big eye. Yeah. Right. Um, so am I doing this? Is this about me or is this in service to other people? And it was through working on my mindset that then I was able to get over it and really be my um, market focused and in true service to them and not really thinking about me and then I had to work on affirming my identity and affirming my self-esteem and you know dissociating my my self-worth from external observable the likes and the comments and the praise and the accolades and all that yeah. um, so I can see how it's easy to jump off a cliff <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. because that's a lot of work that's months of yeah. work on the inside but Again, it starts with an ordinary act of courage, just asking yourself that question. Yeah, absolutely. Where is this coming from? Yeah. I'm curious to know for you, and you you mentioned that you were born in Nigeria, you were raised in the UK, and you work with 
African families and nations now. And, you know, we get so spoiled in the U.S. and in the U.K. as well with the tools and resources that we have available to us. And I'm curious to know how much you think um, not wanting to put yourself out there and talk about things, how much of that is played into by working with countries that don't have that same level of access to information and resources as we do? Is there anything that plays into that, do you think? Yeah, I think in a positive way. So for me, it's like, well, I know that in Africa, the information and the resources and the tools are just not there. And so if I'm refusing to put myself out there, I'm depriving a whole community from mm. resources that can help them in navigating generational change. And navigating generational change is not just lining the pockets of families, it's also preserving the ecosystem and jobs of so many people and impacting on communities. So that, I guess, is the reframing that I tell myself right? Um, like you were alluding to the purposeful element of the business. Um, yeah, I would say that's something that always makes me jump off the cliff rather than Interesting. stay back is if I don't do this, I'm not sure that these families will have the access to this information. I think that's an interesting shift of perspective because for me, it was always the other way around. I felt like my entire life, whether this was actually true or whether it was the way that I perceived conversations, that I was always being told, we don't talk about our successes. We don't talk about what's going on good in our life. We don't talk about that um, because we don't brag. But if you Mm -hmm. want to talk about all the bad things that are going on in your life, like let's talk about that because those are okay, right? And and I don't know that my mom or dad or family or anybody ever actually said, hey, don't tell people when you're winning. It's just the way that that we perceived it, right? And so when I look at really getting over that hurdle, that's been one of the things that I've had to push through the most is I deserve to share what I've accomplished so other people know it's possible and know the steps that we've gone through and can also take those same steps instead of feeling like they have to be stuck in the same place that I was when I started. And that's a big hurdle to get over. And I love that you alluded to it earlier. Yeah, Amber, this whole piece you're talking about is like you're preaching to my soul. It's, (laughs) (laughs) it's It's, I straddle this, I think as an element of false humility with, like you said, just wanting to be, to not brag. It's very similar in, I'm not sure it was ever spoken about in my household, but I think we like to just be under the radar as a family and as Mm -hmm. myself as well. And yeah, it's this tension as a young black female of modeling possibility for people that, you know, may be looking up to me. And sometimes I'm like, why in the world are you looking up to me? Like I've I'm still looking up. I ask so people, people that every day. I'm like, like, why, why are you, you looking listen up to, me? to me? I'm a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know me? Like, yes, really. I hear that. Um, I'm like, yeah, I'm looking at, I'm still looking up to so many others. But I guess um, it's this concept of we should always mentor someone that's up, growing upward on a journey. And we should also have peers that are on a similar journey as us, as well as being mentored, right? Or be inspired by people that are further up on the journey and that is not necessarily defined by this ladder is not defined by career success in my view um Mm -hmm. I'm always intrigued inspired by people that personal development their mindsets that those are the people that I'm like teach me yes (laughs) yes like for me that's that's from like 
And yeah, it's that tension that I, I really struggle with. And I'm, I'm increasingly getting better of like, you know, showcasing my wins and I get another. <laughs> Even the still, way you say that. You can that, see it in my face. Like, no. like, I'm like, oh, constipation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a kink that, yeah, me, myself yeah. and I, we need to work on. You and me too. So if we can like join this club of me, myself and I that needs to work on like sharing our stuff. Right. Um, that's, it's such, and what I love about these conversations is I, I did a Facebook post today about imposter syndrome because like there was just a moment today where I was sitting there going like, who the hell am I to talk about this stuff? Right. And then I'm sitting there going, how many people that I look up to have asked themselves, who the hell am I to talk about this? I mean, Brene Brown talks about it on a regular basis. Yep. If she never would have gotten on that stage and given that TED talk that she never wanted to give, I would not have then heard that in my darkest moments and created what I'm building now to share with other people. And the fact that somebody who can have that kind of a profound impact on me questioned their value is incredible to me. Um, and I really like just feel like that needs to be shouted from a rooftop that when when you're sitting in that moment that we all get to of why should people listen to me? Like the fact that you question that is why people should listen to you because you have something Amen. to say. Indeed. And you know what's so powerful about that example you gave? I think as entrepreneurs, we often think that we make an impact with those that we're working with. But I'm assuming you've never worked privately with Brene. No, it's, it's on the dream the list. Dream, same here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's watching from afar that has made such a profound impact on you and has unlocked your purpose to make impact on people. And you may never know, you probably will never know all the people you've made an impact on. Just as Brene doesn't know that Amber is like so inspired and Nikia, like from different regions of the world. Yeah. have been so inspired by her and I think it's equally it's just so important to show up because you just don't know who you're impacting and you never will know but that's actually legacy is yeah. you're sowing a seed and you don't know you know when that tree will bud and create shade and who will benefit from that shade yeah um, yeah I love that um Let's go ahead and shift just a little bit because I want to be respectful of your time. And I also want to know, because this is the More Than Corporate podcast, we talk about defining success. And I ask every single one of my guests this question. For And you've alluded to it a little bit. So I'm interested to know what your answer is. For you, how do you define success? What does it mean to you? What drives you that goalpost that you're constantly moving towards? What is success for you? Twofold. I think showing myself the best version of myself. Um, and conquering my fears Ooh. as well as making an impact, moving the needle on social issues um, through the work that I do. You know what I love about that answer is I see this chain of amazingness um, of conquering your fears so that you be can become the best version of yourself so that you can then make that impact. Like it seems from the outside, like it's this twofold answer. And in all reality, without any of those pieces of that chain being there, that end result of making an impact on someone doesn't happen. Completely agree. I think it starts from within, always does. Yeah, 100%. And 
from the external, it seems like it's just killing it, selling, you know, making sales, expanding, hiring teams and investing, all the technical. It's really more spiritual. It's the yeah. inner work. It's emotional. It's, it's so mental. True. It's mental. It's mental yeah. agility. I love what you were talking about, about it's easier to jump off a cliff. And there's certain things I make myself do because I know that it's building on my mental agility and my emotional agility, which is great for me as a business owner. Like I make myself run every yeah. day. Freaking hate it. Um, <laughs> you and me both. It. Like I hate it so much. Like I, but I know that. And I play games with myself whilst I'm running as well, because there's some days where I just get on the treadmill. I'm like, time's up. Yeah. It's just not <laughs> happening. And then I literally talk myself into you need to stay in the game. You don't give up when it's easy because yes. we just keep going. We keep going. We keep going. Yeah. Um, and that mindset is so important in different elements of life because life will throw at us curveballs. Business yeah. will throw at us curveballs. 2020, 2021, 2022, probably <laughs> with Omicron and like heaven knows what other version they'll come yes. out with. Um but we must stay in the game. Yeah. You know, when I um, ran my 24-hour race, which I have signed up to do again in 2022, which is insane to me that I'm doing it twice. Um, but when I ran it in 2017, one of the phrases that we had that got us through that race was, you don't finish when you're tired, you finish when you're done. Yes. And that still sticks in my head so much. Like, you don't finish on the course by the time you cross the finish line, you were already done hours ago and miles ago. And you just chose to keep going because failure is not an option. And I feel like that's the mentality that we get to embrace as business owners and as human beings is showing ourselves what a hundred percent of our effort really looks like so that we can have the impact that we want to have on the world around us that so many people quit so close to that finish line because they can't see how close they really are because nobody can really tell the future. Um, And so that whole mentality of like, you don't finish when you're tired, you finish when you're done was life-changing for me. That's incredible. Um, Lately, I've been obsessed with listening to podcasts with athletes and, Mm -hmm. and just like the high performance podcast and um, Lewis House one as well. Lewis House is amazing. Yeah. Just getting into the mindset of, athletes is I find them just fascinating because of this very mindset yeah they don't always have the picture perfect of life balance they certainly have the mindset down though so it's it's finding a way to take that inner drive of an athlete and bring that back to create a balance and make intentional choices of when you're going to pull back and when you're going to give a hundred percent and what's so important about that is we can't decide when to pull back until we know what a hundred percent feels like. And Hmm. so few of us allow ourselves to get there. So true. And I committed to myself in 2018 that I would live a wholehearted life where I would go Mm. all in, in whatever I did. I wouldn't just stay on the fringes, but I would go all in. I love your observation about athletes, negative, never thought about that. Because I'm always uh, jealous of them. <laughs> I, uh, I'm always like, I wish I was an athlete. 
<laughs> I mean, I've, I've surrounded myself with enough of them, um, both athlete athletes and weekend warrior athletes like myself. <laughs> um, all of us have a different level of mental craziness and that allows us to succeed in the things that we do. And I think we all have that to the level we're willing to tap into it and to the level of the people that we surround ourselves with, right? Like there was no way when I started training that I thought I was going to run a 24 hour race. And then I start seeing people that are amputees and cancer survivors. For God's sake, I ran this, this race with somebody who was blind and ran with a guide who told him how far to jump and where to put his hands. And wow. Every single excuse that ever went through my head about why me with all of my limbs that work and no mental or physical conditions um, can't make it 24 hours when somebody with one leg, one arm and no eyes are doing it. Like, what, what do you do with that information? And all of a sudden, every excuse that you have in your life is taken away. Completely. I was asked earlier today as a young black female um, living in the United States don't you feel disqualified from going after so many opportunities? I was like, I've honestly never thought about it. And I love what you just said about if you can run with amputees, the blind, who are not giving themselves excuses, why should you hold on to any excuses? And that was yeah. a similar kind of, obviously I didn't have such an inspiring example. However, <laughs> I was like, honestly, like I reflect inwards and say, why can't I? Yeah. As opposed to why should, you know, how can I be here? Yeah. I want to push back on you a little bit though, because I think that this is something that so many people fall into in a trap of saying my story and my experiences aren't as powerful as someone else's. And how many times do we see that in, especially the speaking world and the podcasting world and the book world where somebody has something to say and they have an experience that's had a profound impact on them. And then they meet somebody else that they're inspired by because of exactly what we were talking about before in the courage and fear conversation. And they allow themselves to fall back into their shell because their story can't possibly be as inspiring as someone else's. And I um, just want to tell you that your story is inspiring and that you should absolutely be sharing it as much as possible. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Of course. So I want to be respectful of your time. I have um, a couple final questions for you in the success era. Um, and I want to know, you gave this definition of success, which is amazing. And I love it. I want to know how you stay true to it. How is it that you make sure that every single action you're taking moves you closer to that definition of success? Is it an internal feeling? Do you have a checklist? Like what, what is it that you use? Accountability. Firstly, it's really important. So community, um, both in driving my personal development as well as trying to drive social change. So I'm part of a community where they've helped me come up with a framework to actually measure what impact means to me and to track how successful I am in generating that impact I believe I've been called to. Um, so community is really key. Mentorship is really key as well. Um, and general just development, just I'm always reading podcasts, always seeking new sources of inspiration. I think the world throws at us so many daggers on a daily basis and so many reminders of how in, like unstable our world is and how everything's going to hit the fan. Um, so I'm always looking for just new sources of light, new sources of hope, new sources of inspiration. Um, for instance, I just watched the Richard, King Richard. Isn't it so good? I can't. 
I was just so like, good. What is this? I said to my husband, we need to have two more. <laughs> did you? Yeah, okay. So I don't know that I would ever Sorry. go that far. But, no, yeah. <laughs> um, do you, did you stay in, did you watch it in the theater? Or did you watch it at home? I guess we that's my first question. Okay. And did it. you watch after the credits where they showed the pictures of their real life? Yes. And the pictures of what they had created in the movie and how identical they looked. And then I watched um, table Red Table Talk with Will Smith and he brought yeah. on Venus and Serena and then the mom and the sisters as well. And I was just, I was absolutely, the most fascinating, two things fascinated me, that Richard knew before these kids were born that this is what they would achieve. And the second thing was when a reporter asked Serena, who do you want to play like? And she said, I want people to play like me. She yes. said that when she was like nine or 10. Could you imagine being I nine and like, saying that? And yeah. then having that be celebrated by your family instead of what What are you doing? Like, right, you yeah. can't say that. You've got to, you know? Uh, yes. You know, there was another part that stuck out to me at the movie. And this is something that I think stuck out to me because I don't know that I can really relate to it. And that was eye-opening to me. And it's when he was in the car talking to them about how nobody ever respected him, but they were going to respect his daughters. And I thought to be a parent in the sixties of a minority, whatever, gender, race, whatever that looks like. And to have a parent have such forward thinking to say, my life was this and I didn't get the respect and I'll be damned if my kids aren't going to get that respect and then stand to that with whatever external judgment about his personality is going to come from it to make sure that his daughters have what he wants them to have and what they deserve. I, it, it was, I cried during that moment because, you know, as a woman in a male dominated profession, I experienced that and didn't really allow myself to understand that I experience it. And I know that I don't experience it on the same level that so many others have, mm. Mm. which is amazing to me. Yeah, to no, hear. it was, it was powerful. And he went as far as creating a 78 page plan. Right. Which is a little ridiculous. And also I love him for it. The attorney <laughs> in me wants to read your 78 page plan yeah. <laughs> um, and, and maybe mark it up. But yes, I love that movie so yeah, much. It was fantastic. It was yes. Yeah. All right. I have a quick random round for you. Um, and then we'll wrap things up with telling people where to find your book. Are you okay with that? Awesome. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So if you could do any profession other than what you're doing now, what do you think would be fun to attempt? Hip hop dancing. Oh, I can see it. Yeah, yes. I can't. Do, I can't do it at all. But I, I really would love to. Yeah. I, I could see it being possible. You, yeah. You've got the hip hop dancer look. <laughs> I, I can see it. Um, I see the. You know, it's your energy. Mm. It, it has nothing to do with like look. It's the mm. energy of what exudes from you of like just creating happiness, which mm. is so cool to me. So, um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Ooh, that's a powerful question. I would go to Nigeria in the 70s after independence when there was a lot of opportunity. And I hear so much about how the economy was great, socially everyone was doing fine, and my parents talk so much about their childhood and how amazing it was. And 
it's honestly unrecognizable. It's not the same country today. So that's what I would do. Wow. That's powerful. Um, other than your book, Lifetime to Legacy, which is coming out um, in the beginning of 2022, what book would you recommend the most to business owners and entrepreneurs that are looking for that next level of personal development? Simon Sinek, Start With Why. Every time somebody well, says that. Or the Infinite Game, either one. Infinite <laughs> Game, Start With him. Why, Simon Sinek, just him. Yes, I love it. Um, and then the hip hop dancer in you is going to love this question. <laughs> I'm a huge music nerd. I need to know what your pump up song is. What do you put on when you just need to smile inside? Oh, Beyonce, anything Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> See, I told you, your hip hop dancer would love it. Um, and last question, people want to follow up with you. They want to continue this conversation and be inspired by everything that you're doing in the world. How can they reach you and where can they find your book? They can reach me on my website, www.nikaanani.com. So first name, last name.com. And on the, in the next couple of weeks, all the information on the book will be there and links to my socials there and also link to my podcast is on there. Perfect. And we'll have that in the show notes as well. This episode is scheduled to come out on Monday, the 27th. So um, we'll have that in the show notes there for everybody to um, access. Are you going to have like a mailing list set up for your pre-launch of your book? Is there a way people can, yes. can be um, kind of the first to jump on that yes. amazing train? I will share the link with you as well to Perfect. sign up for my mailing list. Awesome. I'll go ahead and make sure that we share that out. Um, Nikki, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, we have amazing. so many amazing core beliefs that I know um, are going to be super valuable. And I look forward to continuing to connect with you. Likewise. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that's sounds like something that you're interested in the name of that facebook group is success center head over there request to join and i look forward to connecting with you soon